listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad. Yourself? Good. How does my voice sound? Do I still sound hoarse? No, you sound you sound all right. I know we've had some pretty long days here the last couple of days with meetings all day, but uh, you were also battling a recent illness too. So no, you sound you, you sound marvelous. <laughs> you sound marvelous. Um, no, I I wanted to you know let everyone know like how disappointed I was that I couldn't join you at the uh, Fido Authenticate conference. So when we're recording, it's the week. This is the first episode we've recorded since your return. Um, I was proud of you, man. I thought you did a fantastic job giving our presentation. Um, and I thought you looked really sharp too. I watched the live stream. So, um, I think our plan is we're going to take the audio from that and run it sometime at the end of the year. Right. Yeah, I've got it. I don't know when we'll put it. I think we kind of took that in our back pocket as far as what, you know, when maybe we need an off week or something like that. But yeah, thank, thank you very much for ditching me and uh, making me, <laughs> this was all your idea to go and present. I was like, oh, I'll go and I'll support you. And, you know, maybe we do some podcasts and yeah. Um, and you did most of the deck creation. I mean, I was there for, <laughs> I mean, hey, it was yours, man. I just, I, it's my gift to you. Well, thank you very much uh, for for my purse. My first public speaking engagement, I thought it went okay. You know, I think obviously you're probably your your own worst self critic when it comes to that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I thought I thought it went fine, and certainly had a, a, a ton of great conversations there. We kind of uh, had uh, I was pretty busy actually going from you know topic to topic with guests and coordinating and editing. And you know, if you're listening to this, like Jeff Jim mentioned, this is the first week he and I are recording something after that conference. And this is the week where we also published five podcasts in one week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, today is Wednesday for pulling down that fourth wall. I got another one coming out Thursday, tomorrow, another one coming out Friday. So it's been a pretty hectic, um, uh, a hectic couple of weeks, I think for just kind of getting the show up and running, but um, yeah. Um, thank you very much, Jim, for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was great content. And I'd say for, you know, folks who like the podcast the if they weren't able to listen to all five episodes there was a lot of content kind of cue them up and and listen to them with, during your downtime because jeff did a fantastic job yeah and it was pretty cool to have uh, some some listeners come up and introduce themselves so um certainly want to give a shout out and and uh you know thank you again for for people who took the time to come up and say hello and introduce themselves and and stuff like that so um, all right, enough self-congratulatory uh, talk. Why don't we get to our main topic today? And we're going to talk about CIAM, Consumer Identity and Access Management. And to help with that conversation, we're very fortunate to have Mr. John Tolbert. He's a lead analyst and managing director at Coopinger Coal. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, I think I want to talk about your kind of identity background because that's kind of tradition around here when someone joins us for the first time to kind of understand that. But before I get to that question, CIAM, is it consumer, is it customer IAM, or does it matter or is there a difference? I tend to go with the definition that the C stands for consumer. Fair enough. So consumer, I guess I'm a little more liberal with it. I may say consumer customer, but I think this is maybe a conversation we'll kind of get into. So what, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, maybe you can give us your identity and access management origin story. Is it something that you chose uh, or did it choose you? 
Um, you know, I think it's a, a mix of circumstance and assignment. Um, you know, years and years ago, I was uh, working for a large aerospace company uh, with a pretty large identity system, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get involved in an early implementation of Identity Federation, and uh, that's kind of where it all started, you know, from single sign-on to SAML and, uh, you know, advanced authentication and authorization use cases. Uh, so I've had the pleasure of watching the field uh, grow and evolve quite a bit over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, certainly the identity space has changed over, well, it seems like it changes every year. <laughs> but I think about it like from, you know, the two, early 2000s up to now, you know, I would imagine in your role as an analyst now that, you know, it's it's maybe a little more present for you. Does does the, does the field change from from uh, year to year, or do you feel like it stays the same relatively over the last couple of years? You know, I think it's a pretty exciting space overall. I think conceptually, there are a lot of things that will remain the same because they work. But yeah, there's there's just been such interesting and, and good developments. You know, especially in authentication. Now we're seeing more emphasis on, you know, the authorization and access control pieces, uh, you know, for the B2E and B2B to C work case, uh, use cases. So there's there's lots of uh, interesting things that are going on now that uh, are a result of all the other related technological developments. But yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a fascinating subject area and uh, glad to be able to watch it. Let me throw something kind of from left field there, but just because it's fresh from my mind, having come from the Authentic Hit Conference in Seattle, which I think is where you're based, um, the big topic there was the FIDO Alliance Authentic Hit Conference passwordless and, you know, really kind of push that forward. And, you know, I think that's something that I think that everyone likes and would, you know, make sense for, for people to take advantage of. Any thoughts on passwordless? You know, how close is it to being a real thing? Because I feel like we've been hearing it for the last couple of years now. Yeah, you know, passwordless is, uh, sometimes I say uh, passwordless is really password fewer. You know, how many times do you are able to, you know, authenticate with your thumbprint or whatnot, but then every so often, like if you reboot, uh, you know, you've got to enter that password. So, I mean, really we're all tied to passwords for the most part uh, in many cases, unfortunately, and that's it's still going to be, you know, the lowest common denominator that the bad guys will attack. Um, so passwordless, I think, is great for, um, you know, user convenience. Uh, but, yeah, we do really need to find a way to eliminate the passwords. And, you know, FIDO, I think, is is a great organization for facilitating that. You know, that's a, an organization I've been watching uh, for quite a while now, and I think that, uh, you know, they've made excellent progress over the last few years, and it's it's great to see uh, widespread adoption, many different options out there in terms of authenticators and just, you know, the nature of the standard itself. Um, I think that uh, the standardization that they've done with regard to both security and uh, the, uh, the biometric pieces is is going to be very advantageous for both organizations that are going to implement those kinds of technologies, as well as the vendors that uh, have been working on that too. You know, Jeff, I wanted to throw my head in the ring on passwordless. Um, you know, it's, you know, the way that the FIDO Alliance talked about it, it's moving from knowledge-based authentication to possession-based authentication. Just the other day, I was uh, creating an account on a new 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 to me system I had to you know 
set a password and then set a knowledge-based question. What was your favorite zoo animal when you were a kid? I was like, seriously? <laughs> like, like, how does this add to the security, right? It's just another data point you're going to stick in a database one more way to socially engineer things. And we joked around about this, right, when we were doing our audio check coming into this call. And you said, hey, John, I want to get a, a sound check. What's your favorite color? And he said, you know, I won't say what he said, but <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, in the, mean, in the background, Jeff is hacking into one of your accounts. Um, you know, that it's like moving to anything that's possession-based is better than that. But, you know, there were some things that came out of that conference that it's like, hmm, those are some head scratchers, like this whole idea around push authentication, which in many ways is like the best thing we have, right? It's maybe not as good as YubiKeys for sure, but it um, they have their own problem, right? You potentially lose them. Um, the the idea, though, push authentication, there's some people out there who just hit, hit accept as soon as it hits the phone. Um, that's kind of worrisome. So I, I still don't think we have the perfect solution, but we know we have a, a long history now with passwords being a, a terrible solution, and we have to move to that this passwordless future. That's my two cents. Yeah, I think um, one of the interesting things is that from that passwordless approach, John, you know, is that, and this is some of the research that you've worked on. So we're, I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the leadership compass report that you did on the consumer identity and access management space. Is, is passwordless something that, consumers want does that you know is when we talk about what makes for a good consumer identity experience i would imagine yes but you know may, maybe i'm too close to it and think that yeah it you know certainly makes sense but maybe folks who aren't as tied to identity um don't really care they just kind of want it to work what are your thoughts on that i think people do want it to work and you know i do think we're qualified to answer these questions because we're all consumers um you know i think there's a lot of interesting things that have been going on. Uh, and fortunately, a lot of these are packaged into product offerings today too, around risk-based continuous authentication. So, you know, being able to examine different kinds of factors uh, rather than just having to explicitly ask for username, password every time. I mean, if you're coming from a location that you usually are in and it's the same computer, same browser, same phone, and, you know, the whatever it is you're asking for is kind of within normal parameters, then why bother anybody with an explicit authentication event if, you know, all this other background information kind of indicates that, yeah, this is par for the course. I think that's, you know, the continuous authentication and a lot of the ability of uh, the CIM packages to allow for that kind of runtime evaluation can really help reduce the number of times that we have to be explicitly authenticated. Hey, John, we... We brought you on here to talk about the leadership compass uh, for CIAM. It was released all the way in November 2020. So we've been trying for a while to get you on. Uh, for, you know, very much appreciative to have you here. Uh, and you're going to have another one coming out um, in, let's say, first half of next year. So that'll be something for folks to look forward to. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, look, the, the leadership compass covers... It's a really broad market, uh, a lot of use cases and a lot of vendors that go into this, uh, kind of a lot of um, products that you got that you looked at as part of this report. Broadly speaking, what is the state of the market for CIM? I would say it's uh, 
it's big and continuing to grow. I mean, I think there's room for improvement uh, in a lot of the consumer-facing sites that we go to every day, and we know that there are uh, solutions out there which can help address some of those shortcomings. So I think that there's lots and lots of room for growth within CIM. I mean, it's a big field already. There are some major vendors that are out there. But every time we run this report, and we've been doing them for you know five-plus years now, uh, we find new entrants into the market, which says not only is there room for growth, but there's there's room for uh, new entrants in the market as well, which I think you know makes it that much more exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it truly is a good mix of um, big behemoth players as well as very small, uh, very small players, right? And I think that is one of the ways that CIM is somewhat different from the enterprise IM side of the house. Uh, is you see a lot more consolidation, or maybe not consolidation, maybe that's not the right word, but I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, in the access management space on for, for single sign-on from an enterprise perspective, you got your your Octas and your Microsoft and Ping, and I don't want to leave anybody off the list, but, you know, you've got these really big players. It makes it hard for a smaller player to kind of make an entry into that market. But I think on the CAM side, because of the variety of use cases, because there's just so many things that aren't being addressed from a product perspective, it gives an opportunity for some smaller players. And one of the ideas that I wanted to ask you about is um, regionalization and the idea that I think some of these entrants into the CAM market are regional plays. Obviously, they could expand beyond that. But do you see that trend as well? Yeah, that's something we've been watching for a few years now, and that that is one of the areas for innovation, and and I think one of the reasons why the market continues to grow and and new players come into the market is because you know you think about like you said it, it's very regionalized or it can be um, a company in the CIM space can launch to address the needs of a specific region. You know, regionalized uh, providers can sometimes better address the local regulations. You know, we've been talking for years about privacy, uh, you know, privacy regulations like GDPR and now other ones, you know, all across the U.S. and then other countries too. Uh, While privacy regulations may have some things in common or maybe even increasingly more things in common, there's still differences in how they're implemented and what the requirements are reporting requirements, compliance requirements are. So companies with that, you know, local knowledge of how the privacy regulations work, I think that that can give them an advantage in in certain areas. Um, Same thing with like integration with local IDPs. You know, there are some countries that have national IDs and being able to directly integrate with that uh, can, in many cases, for those uh, citizens and consumers in those areas be really advantageous uh, to have that direct integration with uh, a government ID system. Or, you know, in other cases, like in the Nordic countries, there are bank IDs. Um, those are pretty widespread. And there are uh, CIM solution providers there that, you know, directly rely on on those bank IDs. Plus, they have the, the knowledge, the local regulatory landscape. So, you know, I think that's that's a trend we will continue to see in the years ahead, too, and probably springing up in more and more places around the world, too. I think it's great because I think one of the things that I see a lot of information security in general is that it's 
sometimes hard to break into established markets. So the innovation starts to stagnate. But one of my favorite things around uh, around that is just the names of the companies that I see. <laughs> I'm looking at the report right now, and there's a company called Coffee Bean. <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard of never heard of them, so I got to read up on them. But you know, uh, based on you know the the compass here, that you know they they're not in the the leader quadrant there, kind of the upper right, but they're pretty well positioned, sort of in the middle of the pack there. Um, I guess that's a benefit, I think, of you know being an upstart is you can kind of name it or whatever you want. But I thought that was interesting to see Coffee Bean on there uh, from a, a naming perspective. <laughs> yep, there are some interesting names out there for companies, both in IAM and cybersecurity. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Coffee Bean might be a platform based on Java. I don't know. It could just be a guess of mine. But, um, you know, I think the other thing is that when you're thinking about CIAM, there's an opportunity to take different approaches. I mean, when you look at a lot of these vendors, kind of the approach they've taken to solving what we call CIM is different. You know, if you think of something like uh, Giga slash SAP, it's always been kind of a, a marketing consumer. Um, to me, it's always been kind of like an e-commerce focused platform. Uh, you look at Forge Rockets, the, the internet scale, <clears throat> you know, built it from the ground up from an API perspective. When you look at something like, you know, Auth0, and I would also throw Okta into this, which is, you know, a focus of more being cloud first, cloud built from the cloud up. Um, so there are very different approaches to um, what they're offering. So I, I wonder what you're thinking, what you think of that, John? And I mean, that's, you know, I think a big part of trying to group all these of all these platforms into one thing we call CIAM, but yet they're very different. And how you approach that from an analyst perspective, trying to do a like-for-like -like comparison of things that in some ways are very unlike. Yeah, you know, that's a really great insight. I, I think you've uh, identified some of the, the trends that have gone on over the last couple of years, especially like looking at the genesis of some of these companies. You know, you've got large, large players that are focused on on the e-commerce, the gathering marketing information and being able to automate that. Um, we have the regional players like we've been talking about, uh, you know, the developer focused side, the API driven. I think that that's an angle that had not really been uh, well addressed until those players came in and did that. And now, you know, you see everyone else over the last couple of years has been sort of moving to make sure that they're, Solutions are also microservice-based, easy to uh, write code to, uh, easy to take one, say, consumer-facing application and wrap an identity layer around that rather than needing to deploy you know, a full-blown CIM solution. Uh, and I think that's helped them gain a lot of traction uh, and has become very useful for other companies in CIM to take that approach as well. And, you know, we say it all the time about, you know, the API economy and how important it is for everything to have an API. Uh, I think that's particularly important in identity and in, in CIM, especially where, you know, you've got a lot of information that, that can be shared under the right circumstances if it's protected uh, and APIs are the way to do that. Absolutely. I think APIs also provide the opportunity to have a lot more flexibility in terms of a level of buffering between the front end and the data um, and also kind of interfaces, you know, getting away from having to synchronize data 
using meta directories or virtual directories. You see them much less in CIM architectures today than you may have seen a decade ago. Um, but it also brings in the requirement sometimes to bring in additional technology like API gateways and enterprise service bus or message queues. So um, APIs, I think, provide a ton of flexibility, but they also bring with them additional requirements. And then layer on top of that, the, the need to secure those APIs properly because they become another, another point of you know, potential vulnerability within a system. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of goes toward our concept of identity fabric too, you know, where you've got lots of different components that kind of need to work together, but also kind of need to be separate uh, so that you can, say, upgrade specific subsystems as needed and not have all these deep dependencies within your uh, security and identity architecture. Uh, I, I think that's another good development that we've seen kind of building over the last few years too. You know, you're talking about directories and meta directories. Yeah, that's. I think that was one of the one of the drivers for the evolution of CIM something separate from you know B to E IM in the first place. Is you had generally many many more consumers than you probably did employees. So why would you want to put them in the same directory? And then you know, in a lot of cases, LDAP might not have been the right you know base for storing all that information. Uh, some consumer-facing companies want to be able to, you know, be flexible about the kinds of data that they store or allow consumers to, to store data types of their own. So you needed the flexibility of different kinds of a database. And it just makes sense to separate that and not have it necessarily tied to your production internal LDAP for employees or even employees of contractors or employees of business partners. Right, Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask one specific item, which I was looking in, I was re as I was reading the um, report again, kind of reminded me of this topic of social identity. So log in with your Facebook or log in with your Google. Um, in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like this was something that, you know, five, 10 years ago seemed like it was going to overtake identity management. Everything was going to be logging with your social or log in with some kind of other identity provider. Um, and it, in some ways, to me, feels like it failed to reach its potential or promise. And I wonder if you agree with that. And I wonder if you think it's just stalled and it's still going that way or still going to end up there, or we kind of seen it peak. You know, that's a good question. And as I start the next CIM research cycle, I think I'm going to try to get into that a little bit more. I'd like to know, you know, from the vendor perspective, what are what are they seeing in terms of utilization of social logins? I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, when CIM platforms kind of evolved out of general IAM platforms, that was one of the, you know, the benefits was to be able to use social logins and not have to create other accounts. But, I mean, obviously... Pretty much anywhere you go, you still see those options to log in, but it would be interesting to know how widely utilized are those. That's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that, but I would like to know. Yeah, I think just you know, as an observer of it, I think they're I think they're very convenient for people who know how to use them and have kind of taken that approach of consolidating their online identities to one identity provider, Google, Facebook, you know, whatever it may be. But I think there's also a backlash to it, right? I think 
you know, if you, if you think about just the, you know, just the last year that Facebook alone has had, <laughs> hasn't been positive from a PR perspective. And it's kind of been trying to think trending downwards from a uh, public perception perspective for any number of reasons. Uh, but if you've locked in a service five years ago or 10 years ago, whatever it was with login with Facebook, who's going to go to the effort to actually change that? So I think it's, it's sticky. And now we're seeing essentially a new uh, service come up, signing in with Apple, which is basically the same thing. You know, it's more privacy focused and that it obfuscates email address and kind of acts as an in-between layer if you choose it to. But I think it's interesting that, you know, Jim, to your point, you're talking about is like, you know, has it reached its crescendo? I would agree. It seems like it kind of stalled, but all of a sudden Apple just got into the game with that sign in with Apple process. And I'm starting to see it on more and more websites and apps and things like that. So I think it would be curious to see, you know, what is the uptake on, on some of that stuff? And, um, you know, are there ramifications based on the perception of the IDP itself, whether it's Facebook, Apple, Google, Microsoft, whatever it may be, does that impact people's willingness to use it as an IDP either going forward or do they go backwards and, you know, relinquish that command and go off and create another account or potentially link another IDP to it, which I would imagine would cause some headaches for organizations that have kind of consolidated on one or two, and they don't have a way to kind of link up records maybe if they're, you know, signed in with one uh, provider versus another. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good observation. I think a lot of it does have to do with trust. And I remember, you know, years ago, starting on the identity path here, there were thoughts that maybe one day, you know, you could have a single ID with various personas, but, you know, obviously we never got to that and I don't think we ever will. I think the, uh, the idea that you would only use a single ID provider um, has become somewhat problematic, you know, and even though we were mentioning earlier about regional identity, regional CIM providers and their ability to use uh, region specific IDPs, you know, there are use cases, people that certainly wouldn't want to use government ID for everything either. So uh, I, I think a lot of it does have to do with perception about the identity provider and where a given consumer wants to use that credential. Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. It's, I, I, I think Jeff, your, your observation with, you know, how much trust do people, not only people, but the uh, organizations who use those identity providers trust them. I think big tech's been in the news, whether, However you want to classify big tech, I think most of the major social login providers would qualify. And what do people think of, of that? Uh, how, how concerned are they about their privacy? And that is probably the same points that would apply to what John said with regard to government ID. How much do you trust the government to um, you know, deal with your private information or knowing what websites you're going to or what products you're buying and things like that? So, John, I wanted to ask you a few kind of technical questions about the report. And I think this is a question that comes to my mind with a lot of analyst reports. If I don't see a, um, a technology vendor included in the report that maybe I expected to see, I wonder, why was that vendor excluded? And that might not be the case. I'm kind of wondering, you know, how do you pick who's included and who's not included? Is there some kind of participation required on their end? Yeah, so especially in a big field like this, lots of different uh, players. Um, we try to identify all the ones that uh, fit our criteria. And 
um, you know, it can be, it's a process that takes several months. So we start with inviting all of those. Uh, and then, you know, we move on to the next step, which is kind of a lengthy technical questionnaire. Uh, and sometimes, uh, sometimes companies may not have the time to dedicate to uh, engaging fully so that we could get a good complete picture uh, of, of where they are. So, you know, it, it takes a lot of information to be able to produce the reports. And uh, there are just occasionally uh, times when maybe a vendor that you might expect to be in there might not have had time to participate this go around. So, um, you know, we do offer that up every time. So hopefully if there's one or two that you were hoping to see last time, we'll, we'll be able to include them this time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, I was also noticing is obviously there are a lot more solutions that are cloud-based a lot that were traditionally on-prem are starting to come out with cloud offerings or their cloud offerings are becoming more mature or very mature. Um, is that an overall finding that, that you would concur with that the market's going cloud? I would say so, yeah. I mean, especially for CIM, um, you know, for workforce identity, there's there's going to be an on-prem solution for that for the foreseeable future. But I think companies realize the value of, you know, deploying in the cloud first, uh, letting letting the vendor handle a lot of the background maintenance tasks and, you know, keeping, keeping everything up to date and also being able to provide the scale that's needed. Uh, and again, as workforce and consumer use cases kind of diverge in some ways, I think it, it continues to make sense and we'll see more of an emphasis both from the vendor side on getting people on their cloud hosted solutions as well as, you know, customers just deciding, you know, it sure would be a lot easier to host uh, deal with CIM in the cloud than, than building out infrastructure to support it. John, was there anything that jumped out at you as, as unique or interesting in the report that maybe you didn't expect to find? Well, yeah, I'm kind of watching a couple of trends, and this will probably go into the update of the report. I think that the CIM field is quite large, like we said before, but there's also some specialties that have kind of arisen um, in the last few years. One around, you know, consent and privacy management uh, as a focus, and then also customer data platforms. You know, that's another big field, uh, you know, about unifying all the different databases of information you've got about your customers and consumers. Um, so, you know, I think seeing how those work together and, you know, where the lines of delineation are between these different kinds of products, um, there will <clears throat> likely be an emphasis on uh, privacy, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. So it's probably not unexpected to see uh, separate development and, in different kinds of products to address that. But also I think that companies that want to, you know, hire a CIM solution are going to want that built in to a degree as well. Uh, you know, and that's, that's what we noticed the last time in the market is that there are uh, vendors that are specializing, you know, and offering lots and lots of features around privacy management and others that kind of give you the, the basic tool set and and let you figure out how to comply with whatever regulatory environments you operate in on your own. Yeah, you, know, you kind of answered the question I was just thinking in my head right now was around that privacy and consent module. Um, that's certainly taken off in the last year or so I've seen in the market. And, you know, I wonder from a product perspective is, 
is privacy and consent a baseline feature that CIAM technologies need to have? Or is it something that they should be partnering up with kind of a dedicated vendor in that space? And, or maybe it's an acquisition target. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on that privacy and consent part, John? Is, is, is that baseline or is it still considered kind of separate from pure authentication? I think it's it's kind of both right now. I mean, you've got some vendors in CIM that have, you know, excellent privacy and consent built right into it. And then you've got these newer companies in, in consent and privacy management that are doing something kind of new and different. And they're API driven so that, you know, again, there might be opportunities to do some interesting things and interoperate between CIM and these CPM uh, vendors. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think that's it's kind of good foreshadowing to think that there probably will be acquisitions, uh, especially in that area, you know, where maybe a CIM vendor needs to augment the capabilities they have around consent management. So they could become targets of acquisition. Hey, John, one of the things I've seen um, within the past couple of years is that um, platforms are gaining um, you know, a, a much stronger set of IAM and CIM capabilities. So if you take a system like a platform like Salesforce, they're kind of forcing their way into the conversation, maybe not as a standalone uh, CIM vendor, but if you are, a, let's call it a Salesforce shop, um, you have to at least look at their offering to see if it makes sense because they surround kind of those core authentication, authorization, uh, registration, you know, basic user lifecycle management with a lot of marketing analytics type of capabilities. I mean, do you see that as well? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of relates to what you were saying earlier too about, I mean, I guess I'd call it islands of identity or, you know, our identity fabric. I think that there are these ecosystems of services and related services that that have their own identity component but yet they need to interoperate with you know the productivity environments and other kinds of cloud idps so you know i'm certainly glad that we have standards in those areas to help uh, with that interoperability oauth oidc saml and things like that to make it uh, a bit easier so john i wanted to ask kind of a a a wrap-up question for for this, which is, um, you know, thinking about it's kind of the, are we there yet question? Do we have what we need in the market or, you know, put your Nostradamus cap on if you would, and talk about what you see coming in the near future that's going to, you know, get us there. Or are we, (laughs) are we just going to drift, you know, you know, for the next, uh, many years, decades, where do you see this thing going? You know, I think there are lots of good solutions out there today. I mean, in reviewing all these products every year or two, I'm always pleased to see lots of innovation and lots of capabilities that are built in that that address, you know, a multiplicity of use cases, you know, across different industries, whether it's finance, insurance, medical, you know, all aspects of our consumer lives. Um, but I think what we really need to do, and by we, I mean identity professionals as well as, you know, the vendors of these products, is help the customers, you know, the, the consumer-facing organizations that buy CIM products, implement that stuff fully and make it as useful as it can be. Uh, you know, you think about 
you know, your last 10 experiences online as a consumer, how many of them have been what you think that they should be, you know, as an identity professional or as a consumer? I mean, I think we all encounter times most every every week, if not every day, that we look at something and say, hey, there's room for improvement here. And then if you're in this business, you know what the technical solutions are. Sometimes we're left scratching our heads wondering, well, why don't they just, you know, do this? Why don't we have MFA there? Why do I have to, you know, fill out security questions when we know that these are a really bad idea? So I think the next wave really should address how to help these consumer-facing organizations take it up the next level and offer all the good capabilities that are already there. You know, education, uh, showing showing these companies how to do it, what the benefits are, uh, you know, and the benefits could be, you know, many in terms of, you know, reduced fraud, um, you know, better conversion of registrations. Because, you know, if you have a registration process that's really laborious or you ask too much information up front, you know, some consumers will just abandon it and say, you know, this isn't worth my time providing all this information up front. You know, and there, there are better ways to do it than that. We know that. So, you know, helping these companies uh, get to a point where they can offer uh, really thorough solutions and, and see that implemented across all their customers is what I think we really need to focus on next. I think part of it's a design issue too, um, making sure that you're designing for the customer in mind and putting them into, you know, set them up for success, not only from just a user experience perspective, but from a security perspective. Um, you know, I, I think back to a conversation that, that I had with Bob Lord while I was at Authenticate and he, he talked about this thing called, uh, and, I'll, and I'll paraphrase it, but the MFA tax, essentially uh, authentication providers who are selling products that then charge extra to use MFA. Like at what point does that make sense to be like, yeah, that's baseline because that helps you in so many other ways and should just be part of the product, um, which I, I thought was interesting from a, you know, again, you call it the MFA tax, which I think is, is probably pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. I think that should be part of the baseline product, MFA and, and any other security related improvement that you can make. Um, it's worth charging the premium for upfront because it's, it's something that, uh, will in the end help your customer and their consumers. Uh, security too often, as we know, has been, you know, an afterthought or, or something that uh, that's perceived as costly. But uh, when you see the, the value of putting in preventive measures, then, then I think that's the right way to go. Well, John, you've been really um, gracious with your time. So do want to kind of wrap things up and be cognizant of that, of that uh, time. So let's start to swim back up to the surface. And we, we like to end on a lighter note here. And I'm going to ask a question to both you and Jim. And it will be this. What movie or TV show do you wish you could watch again for the first time? Wow. Let's see. How about the first Lord of the Rings movie? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. What was it about the first the first Lord of the Rings movie that that just blew you away? Uh, I would say it was just the scale of it, you know, the scale of the landscapes and and how the story was told. Mm-hmm. Jim, what about yourself? Oh, this is a tough question for me because I'm sitting here thinking of how many you know. My favorite genre of movies is comedies. But I feel it would be kind of a wasted opportunity if you were presented with this golden ticket to see some movie for the first time 
and I just said office space or old school or something like that. I mean, that would be really cool to laugh my butt off for an hour and a half, two hours. But what I'm going to say is uh, Forrest Gump. I, I just, that movie just had such an impact on me. Uh, and I thought it was so well scripted and acted and everything. I mean, it's the way it's become part of, you know, our culture. Um, so that's my choice, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, right on. You know, I I wrestle with this one because I think there are three things that come to mind. The first one is is my no-brainer. It's The Matrix. I love The Matrix, especially the first one, just kind of like, what? You know, it's like, this is crazy. I remember seeing the theaters, and I was like, I got to get more of that. Even the other, even Matrix 2, 3, and 4, which is coming out soon, I am like all in. I will watch yeah. any of those. Um, the second one is The Sixth Sense. I thought that was so well done. And just to be like, you know, again, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, the guy is talking to dead people, <laughs> right? It's like, this is like, he was dead the whole time. Like that was crazy. Um, so I think six cents will be my real answer, but my, my honorable mention will be Lord of the Rings, the red wedding episode where they basically killed off most of the Starks uh, in kind of one fell swoop and people just didn't see it coming. And just the internet reaction for all the people in the world who did not spoil it for the people who hadn't seen it before, myself included, was just amazing to kind of watch the people who read the books, let the people who were watching the show who hadn't read the books come to that realization in real time instead of spoiling it, I thought was amazing as well. Well, you know, the, the, the angle to that though is also how many TV shows actually kill off a bunch of the stars? Very few. And that's what really blew me away with, um, with what show we're talking about? <laughs> Game of Thrones. Well, Game- Jim, it's not, it's not TV. Yeah, it's sorry. HBO. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, that was what blew me away with Game of Thrones. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so those are my three. Okay. So uh, I think I think we successfully navigated ourselves back up to the top here, surface level. Um, before we wrap up, John, any final words of wisdom for people who are looking at the CIM market, um, confused, unsure? What should they be looking at? I guess what are some words of wisdom that you can kind of impart on people who are either just getting started or kind of reevaluating their strategy in that space? I would say first and most important thing is MFA, you know, multi-factor authentication. Make sure you can get that. It's great for not only reducing the prevalence of fraud, but it, uh, you know, can help in cases of ransomware too, you know, for uh, workforce. Uh, So MFA on both sides of the IAM fence is extremely useful and hope to see it deployed everywhere. MFA, all the things, all the time. Yep. Uh, Jim, how about yourself? I would just recommend for all of our IAM practitioner listeners out there, if you want to get a copy of this report, I, you know, I know you can go to fordrock.com and download it for free. We'll have that in the show notes, I'm sure. Uh, but it's 100 plus pages of goodness. I mean, you know, if we're in this space, this is how we learn, right? And I don't think many people sit and read a hundred page document like this word for word. You can skim, but really right in the front section of that document, there's a lot of educational material. I would say go out there, give it a read. Uh, the focus I think should be that, that area where you get that education. Of course, if you're in the market for a CIM, you are going to want to, you know, explore further. And of course, in the role that Jeff and I are in, we're doing that. Uh, and then I think the other thing is if you are um, you're working for a technology company and they're in the CIM space is for my money, the Cup and Cole report is one of the best ones related to CIM. 
So here's your plug, John. <laughs> because <laughs> well, thank you. I, I mean, this this is this is true. Um, I think this is one of the better better documents. So I think vendors should be taking this one very seriously and and uh, working to get included. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, leverage that uh, is it the, the covering your coal plus or membership subscription. I mean, there's a ton of great research there. We'll have a link to covered your coal in the um, in the show notes so people can find it easily as well. So um, with that, I think we'll go ahead and call it for this week. John, thank you so much for your time. Jim, thank you so much for your time as well. Uh, don't forget, you can visit us on the web at identitycenter.com. We're also on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. We'll have a link to John and Cupinger Cole and Jim and myself uh, on LinkedIn as well so that we can connect with any of us or all of us. Tell us what you like, didn't like, show ideas, et cetera. Happy to engage. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll uh, talk with you all in the next one. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.